Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. My name is Nelson Fernandez, and I'm here today with Zach and Itamar, um, two friends of mine from Skokie, Illinois. How are you guys doing today? I'm, I'm doing great, Nelson. Great to see you. Doing great. Good to be here. Awesome. So to kick off today's episode, before we dive in, would you guys like to pitch to the audience why they should listen to this episode and episodes in general? Yeah, I can, I can say something. Um, first of all, you should keep listening to this episode because me and Itamar are going to talk about a great story of us pursuing our dreams, starting a business all during the pandemic. And in general, listen to the Green Roof podcast because Nelson just brings on just such interesting guests who have such great stories to share. And I've learned so much from the different people he's brought on, and I know you will too. Yeah, I think that this podcast can offer a lot of you know, students on their campuses maybe a, a boost in reaching your goals. Um, people want to be a part of projects and people want to focus on sustainability at their school. I know that me and my friends do. And so just following any of the ambitions that you have at your school could be awesome. And this is a great way to learn about that because Nelson has a lot of really great ideas. And um, I hope maybe we can actually introduce new things to you um, or new ideas for you as well. Awesome, cool, thank you guys. So for today's episode, we're going to be focusing on small businesses, jumpstarting, especially during the pandemic, this all on a focus on environmental sustainability and social justice. And before we kick off today's episode, special thanks to our sponsors for supporting us and everyone here listening to the podcast. We appreciate everyone who views, listens to us, and hopefully everyone takes something away. So continuing with today's episode, um, Zach and Imar, would you guys like to give a, the audience a brief introduction on who you guys are, maybe how we met and where you guys are at right now in life? Yeah, so um, as mentioned before, I'm Ismar Steiner. I'm a senior at the University of Illinois um, at Urbana-Champaign, so central Illinois. Um, I'm from Skokie. Uh, we're all from Skokie. We went to high school together. Um, and a little bit just about kind of my interests and, and what I do on campus. I study political science and urban planning, kind of focusing a little bit on, you know, how our institutions and our space really work for us, um, trying to make sure that those, that that space institutions um, continue to work for us and think about creative ways um, for equity in our cities. And I have an internship with a nonprofit called the Urban Land Conservancy, it does a lot of affordable housing and community developments in Denver, looking to be um, to be moving into urban planning, hopefully find ways to include urban farming um, in a lot of those, uh, the ways that I do my work. Yeah, um, I'm Zach, also from Skokie, Illinois. Uh, went to high school with these great guys. Um, I'm a senior at Brown University studying political science, um, also generally involved in um, politics and human rights and social activism. Uh, especially American foreign policy in the Middle East. And um, I also love to run and um, just just have fun. Awesome. So I love how we can just come back together, guys. I know it's been a while since we all spoken, and I've heard a lot of great things about what you guys did during the pandemic two summers ago, I believe, um, from Zach about race garments and the community. But before we dive into there, um, was there like a stepping stone or an experience you guys had that led 
to the business coming to fruition? Yeah, so Zach and I, we grew up at a camp in rural Michigan in Three Rivers called Camp Tavor. And um, at camp when I was 17, uh, we did this project in our sustainable farm. Um, and the project was that we had this, this hill on the side of the farm and we wanted to terrace into the hill. So terracing for those who don't know in this context would be building into the hill, building with wood um, and creating level surfaces that you can um, that you can farm on. And so we, this group of about 15, 17 year olds um, worked together to come up with a plan and kind of implement this, um, our, our strategies and buy all of our materials. And by the end of the summer, we had this, this terrace. And so um, when I finished with that project, I was, I had this kind of renewed interest in, you know, building for, for gardening and farming. And so when the pandemic started um, and we were sitting alone in our homes in Skokie, I really felt like I actually could use this time, you know, cause we had a lot of time in our hands. Right. And I, and I called Zach and said, Zach, we should make some raised garden beds. And his first response to me was, oh my God, that's crazy because my dad is telling me about his plans to make uh, compost tumblers and um, compost tumblers are, you know, composting in bins on a stand that, that revolves about itself. And so these two products kind of together made this sustainable, you know, home garden vision kind of come to life. And so we worked on that for, um, for about four months, I think throughout the, I called it the never ending summer of 2020. And it was really awesome. And uh, yeah, Zach, what else do you have to add to that? Yeah, I'd say um, besides doing garden beds and compost tumblers, we also branched out into all sorts of other gardening businesses, especially towards the middle of the summer. People were kind of tapped out on, on garden beds, but we had lots of people who wanted to hire us for all sorts of different gardening tasks. Clearing weeds and trimming bushes were some especially popular options. Uh, so we transitioned and, and started doing basically whatever someone asked us to do that we were capable of. We got a few requests to do things that we just did not have the equipment or experience to do, and we had to politely refuse those. Um, but it really was like a multifaceted business and had lots of different services and products that, that we offered at different times. We even at one point built some custom raised beds um, for, some, for, for a woman, which was, which was quite an experience, but, but really exciting too. That's a great example of a good pivot. Uh, many times in business and in many projects, you might be going one direction, um, like specifically with raised garden beds, but then seeing, oh, what if we just take a step back, take a look around and dive into this other area and be able to expand out. Um, do you guys see any other lessons during your experience with more of the business side and seeing what you can do to grow? Yeah, well, so just like Zach said, we shifted so many times in just our four month experience. Um, I remember we were making raised garden beds that were two specific sizes, right? Our production was um, a lot quicker and more uniform that way. But then we made these garden beds for someone who, that were um, just a lot bigger than we were used to. And the Toyota Sienna couldn't drive them over to her house. So we found ourselves carrying these garden beds four blocks through Skokie to this woman's house. I mean, those are kinds of like the stories that are really fun to tell um, about a business like this. We also found that um, some people were worried about their 
crops being eaten by rabbits or squirrels, right? There are a lot of those in Skokie. Um, and so we refined our technique and we got chicken wire and we would, um, we came up with a design to wrap the raised beds in chicken wire. And then we created a door mechanism um, to, to be able to fully encase the, uh, the raised beds. And so, yeah, just refining that was really kind of something that we took pride in and would just stand in Zach's garage and kind of go back and forth about what would be the best, um, the best technique, the best way to refine. Another lesson that I learned was um, how to use your resources effectively and especially how to get free resources. So to give you all some background, the raised beds we were building were about 11 inches tall. It was like a wooden box, about 11 inches tall, uh, with the idea being that anything less than 11 inches just doesn't look so good and also isn't high enough, is, won't be high enough to protect it from the rabbits. Um, but filling 11 inches of soil is quite difficult. It's a lot of soil. It's heavy soil. It's also really expensive. So what we did was we do the first, and also unnecessary, the plants, most plants, unless you're planting like a tree, do not need 11 inches of soil. So what we would do is we'd have, uh, we do about four to five inches of wood chips, and then about four to five inches of soil. And the wood chips we got from the free wood chip pile on Dempster Street. Um, and so we saved a lot of money that way and were able to increase our, our overall profit and also way more sustainable because those are wood chips that were sourced locally from Skokie. Basically, whenever, anytime the uh, comet or someone chops down a tree, they just make it into wood chips and put in the free wood chip pile. Awesome. I know um, down on church also they have that, um, the dirt pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on Church Street. It's not on Dempster Street. Good, good catch, Nelson. I know it's on the it's on the running route to your house. Yep. <laughs> oh, those are amazing lessons. Um, just being able to see what's out there and be able to use resources you have on hand. Um, so diving in on more of the customer end, because I was hearing guys how you took feedback from the customers to improve upon. Um, how is interacting with customers and what were ways you guys were going in and trying to get new people involved, N new people who wanted, well, who may not have known that they wanted to be gardening, but found themselves enjoying it even. Yeah, well, so we, um, we quickly found our, our niche and it was, you know, those people who wanted to garden, but didn't already have like very large or, um, or well-kept yards and no shade to the people that we, that we built gardens for, but we always knew when someone's garden was just a little bit too pristine for our, um, for our work. Right. And we always knew when we could kind of like, we always knew when we could have someone who um, was at this like perfect point where, um, where our services would be really beneficial to them. Um, and so we would, we made flyers and we would actually go around to neighborhoods handing out those flyers, sometimes skipping over houses that, um, that had their yards too perfectly curated because we thought that they wouldn't um, want our services. And sometimes the same for, for yards that were just like way overgrown. Um, although we dealt with our fair share of those as well. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of trial and error, a lot of um, really just trying to understand who, who to go after. Um, and once we found our clients, we had really, really nice experiences with them. I mean, there wasn't 
the ability for physical contact um, because of the you know just the nature of where we were at. But um, but definitely there were a lot of relationships that we built that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and in a time where I felt personally pretty isolated, I did feel like I was able to connect with a lot more people um, in the ways that we did. And I think that we were able to add something that was valuable for their lifestyles. Yeah, I learned a lot about customer service and marketing through this. Uh, one lesson about marketing I learned was not to be afraid to use personal networks. I think like our first, like, you know, the first seven of the first, you know, 15 customers were like easily all like Itamar's like friends and cousins. Um, but like they also genuinely wanted our product and also would refer us to, you know, another person who would refer us to another person and, and word really spread that way. Uh, we also like use social media, but a little bit more innovatively. We, Facebook was okay, but we found out that really the place to go was something, this website called Nextdoor, which is this like weird social media for neighborhoods. Um, we got a lot of business through that. Um, and also um, one, one, one technique we used was, and this honestly happened kind of accidentally, but it worked out really well that we'd have kind of one point person for each customer. Um, usually besides me and Itamar, there's usually one or two other people working on our team at any given point. Um, and usually it was either me or Itamar that would, that would liaison with a specific customer. Um, and I also I learned like how important it is to schmooze with customers. Like we, we honestly like wasted so much of their time just like talking to them and like when we were on the clock for them, but not working, but they didn't care. Like they just wanted to talk to us and like tell us their thoughts on gardens and, and everything like that. Awesome. So out uh, of like curiosity, have you guys like checked in with any of your customers and see how they're doing and how their gardens are doing? Yeah, actually, um, at least a couple people called me um, last summer. We did have a few. We didn't really relaunch the business last summer, but we had a few people that called and said, hey, can you come on my lawn? Can you do this? Can you do that? I even did actually build uh, like two or three raised beds for different people. Um, so it's, it's continued. Um, people, people remember us and people like us. And I think, you know, if we'd wanted to, we could have done it again. Uh, luckily, you know, there wasn't, the pandemic wasn't as bad and we actually, we had real jobs. We were able to go to camp and work there. Um, but yeah, we still have some of those relationships. I've gotten a few, um, pictures and videos from people who are like, well, look at my yield. Like, it's amazing. I'm getting kale in December. Um, you know, so, so people were just a lot of, a lot of first time gardeners were really happy about what they were getting out of, um, our products. And like Gabe said, yeah, like Zach said, a lot of people, um, would, you know, call us back and just be really excited and also really want to see us again and, um, and see if we were kind of still in business so that we could perform more of their garden needs. I love hearing that. Um, that's how you know you have good customer service for everyone listening out there people come back and they want more cool so in the big picture of sustainability taking a step back um, do you guys see what you've done two summers ago as something that impacted um, maybe not environmentally but socially i mean i think i think there was actually an environmental impact um, at least especially on the composting side, um, compost is a, is a really important way to uh, divert uh, food waste from landfills. It increases it where it can produce methane. Um, and also taking food, taking food waste to landfills is, is a big source of carbon emissions just from transportation. 
um, as well as producing compost um, cuts down on the need for uh, synthetic fertilizers. Um, and, you know, I've, we've, so we sold that summer probably these 15 compost tumblers, which were for the most part sourced from recycled materials. Um, and so, you know, that does actually, I think, have, have an environmental impact for each household that uses them. Um, and besides that, I think, I think there's definitely a social impact uh, from the garden business in general. I think gardening is just a wonderful way for people to connect with nature and feel more grounded and feel happier. And I think we, we brought a lot of happiness to a lot of people by, by giving them a garden or improving their existing garden. Right, you know, a garden, um, it's installed one year, but it can be used for 10, 20 years after. So uh, these people who wouldn't have been gardening, you know, we put in raised beds on grass, we put them on cement once, um, we put them on dirt patches, and anytime you're increasing the biodiversity um, or just the amount of photosynthesis that happens in an area, you're minimally impacting how much um, how much that land is used to kind of re, uh, reproduce the um, necessary nutrients for for that environment. So I think that there, you know, minimally there was some impact, and I think definitely that impact can be felt for a long time. And maybe these people will you know, rub off on their neighbors. Um, we rubbed off on them and the cycle continues. So I think that's a lot, a lot of it is um, really important to just be really proud of. Also, yeah, sorry, guys, I apologize. I did not mend it didn't have any environmental impact, but instead trying to like focus more on the social side. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. All good, all good. Cool. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. Um, so I lost my train of thought, but do you think that the people who are now gardening, that they're gardening more because of the raised beds and they're talking more about sustainability in general and thinking more sustainably about how they purchase materials, how they go about their daily life, how they can become more um, environmental? Um, I, I think so. I mean, I think most of the people that we build raised beds for would not have started a garden if we didn't um, start one for them. They were in that like very narrow category of people that wanted to garden, but didn't know how to build a garden. And also we're not gonna pay some, not gonna pay like a big uh, landscaping company to, to build a garden. Also these big landscaping companies don't really do the small garden building that we did. Um, and I think, I think the gardening lifestyle generally makes people more environmental. Um, when you see the way a plant grows and, and the way you know, you spend more time in nature, I think you start to become more aware of the resources you're consuming and the effect of people in their environment. So um, I do hope that, that the more people garden, the more people become aware of, of the impact that people have on this earth. Yeah, I think that one thing we did was we just made something that wasn't a habit for someone um, more accessible. Uh, anytime you put something um, more in proximity to someone, they're more likely to take it up as, as a habit, as that kind of touched on a little bit. And it definitely increases happiness as well. So twofold, for sure. Awesome. So do you guys see any other ideas or ways or anything you have on you that might that is sustainable and is it maybe a product that is more sustainable than what traditionally has been used before? Yeah, I mean, sustainability can come in many forms. Like, a lot of people just use tissues that are made out of cotton, but what they don't know is that bamboo grows 
10 times as fast. And so using products that regenerate even faster um, can always be beneficial. So, you know, a lot of the times before we started this business, I thought about sustainability and afterwards, after seeing actually some of the um, strategies that Zach and I employed and told you about in the past few minutes, I was able to think about, well, maybe there are, maybe there are ways that I can use materials differently. Um, if it's not wood chips to turn into soil underground, then maybe, maybe it's bamboo tissues. Uh, cool. Um, Zach, do you have anything where you are right now that you see as being sustainable or more sustainably sourced? Yeah, um, I'm not, I'm not super involved on any, you know, formal sustainability organizations, but one thing that I, I do do that I think um, not enough other people do is I always keep a, uh, a, a reusable uh, plastic spork in my backpack. So whenever I'm, you know, at an event or wherever that has plastic silverware, I don't have to use that plastic silverware. Uh, I can just use my reusable spork. And uh, I really think if more people did that, then we could just stop having plastic silverware, which is oftentimes not actually, cannot be recycled because it's such a small amount of plastic. I mean, depending on where you're at in the country. Um, so just my, that's my tip for people. And also get in, like donate to, um, you know, climate justice organizations like Sunrise, other organizations, you know, change comes through personal action, but also through the political process. And we, have, we need to support that. Yeah, so Nelson, I would like to hear kind of a little bit more about how you were able to get involved on your campus. And, you know, this, the Green Roof team is something that came to you because you were passionate about creating sustainable product projects and bringing people in on campus. And so like, what other ideas do you have maybe going forward to build sustainability on your campus? Most definitely building sustainability is an important key attribute to any um, sustainable development, any society in the world. Um, kind of like connecting to how you guys grew um, your business. We found an area that needed support, that needed a bit of help and jumpstart, and then took the idea, ran with it for a bit, saw if we could pivot, and then just overall began finding what our niche was, what we're passionate about, grew our team, and just continued to thrive. Um, specifically with the Green Roof team, we began back in November of 2019 um, when I first became a fellow through the Stanford University program. And on our campus, we have several champions, faculties, and deans part of this program. And during one of our fir first initial conversations between all of our fellows and, their, and the dean's directors, we all talked about what we're passionate about. Then from their experience being here on campus for 10, 20, 30 years, they're able to dive in and be like, oh, this resource already exists, or no, this is not here, or hey, this could be improved. And that later one, how something might be improved came from our Dean of the College of Sciences, Dean Ishman, and heard my idea about, oh, let's make a green roof on the engineering building, we can have solar, we can have wind, we can have students being hands-on, because that's something we don't have in the university currently, at least we didn't back then. And he heard this idea, he's like, that's a great idea, but let's take a step back. We do have a green roof already installed because installing a new green roof alone would be a project and working with bureaucracy 
would be a nightmare. So instead, let's take what we already have, the green roof that's currently behind me, and find ways to increase your engagement. Because even though we have this amazing space, it wasn't always the most used. And many students on campus don't know how to get involved, let alone if it's even there. So initially, the green roof team began as more of a marketing project and just finding ways of getting students up there, volunteering with the different plants, but also maintaining it as well as finding ways of integrating their projects into the roof. Now, of course, being a agriculture focused space, that was one big stigma that we had to overcome. But of course, being engineering myself and my second command prem being in computer science, we, we saw an opportunity to go in and increase the irrigation system's efficiency because being in Carbondale, Illinois, it gets pretty humid and hot. And especially in summer, the roofing had a temperature of even 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which is pretty hot. So we just essentially found ways on infusing our passions into this amazing space that just needed a tiny bit of help in through all the different projects we got inspiration going. And now more students are up there involved, finding what they're passionate about through hands-on. That's awesome. Do you grow any vegetables or fruits up there? So in the past, the uh, different faculty who are involved with the green roof, they did and they would donate it to the dining halls, then kids would eat it. They would grow anything from tomatoes to melons, to cayenne peppers, to bell peppers. But one thing that um, I know you guys mentioned earlier was animals get to them pretty quick. And next thing you know, all your plants that were growing the past several months, all gone. But currently right now, there is mainly sedum plants because they're drought resistant, and then there's some Lyota prairie grass also because they tend to always come back every season. So how do you feel like balancing kind of the maintenance piece of it and balancing kind of the like working on this green roof could be a huge chore, could be something that you work on all the time and kind of consumes your life, right? Mm -hmm. How do you find that working on creating sustainable places like this green roof um, could fit more into people's lifestyles. So in my opinion, finding people who are interested in that field and in those areas is always the best option because um, someone who's not interested in agriculture, they're not going to have a passion to go up there and be able to do the work, but someone who is and who appreciates all the tiny details from how the soil is, how it feels to how the breeze feels on them and seeing the plants up there. They're going to be interested to be up there, um, staying there, and just spending the time up there. So for us, we knew from the beginning that we were a temporary project, and then we became a temporary organization on campus. So the goal was not us always doing the work, but finding others who can. So in terms of maintenance and ownership, we gave that out to agriculture student council and engineering student councils, one, because we know that if any student club is going to stay on campus, those are gonna be the two main ones. They're student councils, they're reliable, they're overseen by the Dean. And then secondly, they oversee all the other RSOs. So if you wanna tap into the engineering students, go through the student council. If you wanna tap into the agriculture students, tap into their student council, because through the student councils, they oversee all of them, they can go into them. Just like how if you want to talk to a wide range of professors, 
you go through a dean perhaps and you go to who oversees them because then their word can help spread especially if they buy into the idea so with the two student councils they're going to be hosting cleanup events every semester and at least one event to help engage students not only on the roof but between the two colleges and help make connections too How do you see the uh, the green roof as a sustainability effort, and how do you feel like it's uh, impacted environmentalism in your community and on campus? That's a great question, Zach. So immediately, anytime you think about green roofs, I know there's majority-wise things about the environmental benefits from being a well mitigating the urban heat island effect. So as the sun comes down, we know that cities are getting hotter because I have asphalt different materials that absorbs the heat compared to grasslands that can, I believe, reflect it off or absorb it down lower than holding it onto the surface. So you have the heat side of it, but then also the water side. So all the rainwater that comes down gets filtered through the green roof material and it'll go off the roof. Um, interesting enough, the dean who installed the green roof early on Notice that all the water was also running off towards Thompson Woods, the forest right next to the building, and would pull up in this one area. So a later project that she executed with a few students was focused on building a rock garden that can help spread out the water and help, I believe, make it um, more efficient, more efficient through uh, natural materials. So then you have the heat, the water side, and then also from a building energy standpoint, it acts as an insulator. So the hot air inside the building that's been through the ventilation stays inside, all the cold air too during summer stays inside. So then you're tackling heat, water, and energy usage. And those are your biggest environmental along with biodiversity. But then I like talking more about and focusing on the social side because ideally everything that we've been doing has been focused on how can we engage students to go up there, be able to get hands-on, be able to show and experience their passions. But then that also leaked out in the community because as more people see in, um, sustainable initiatives, they become more inspired to move forward. And in my opinion, I was actually quite surprised how active the Carbondale community is with sustainable efforts. Um, the city council alone focuses on installing solar panels and more PV systems to help bring up generation. They're talking about ways on reinventing the transporta transportation systems. Um, there's organizations like the Clean Climate Economy, which focuses on education to the community, providing free resources. The uh, Rotary Club, they host several events and engage people as much as they can. And then there's another program that I heard about late last year called Solar for, for All. And essentially what their mission is focused on is installing community solar systems. So instead of paying for the utilities, um, local utility, you help contribute towards this large solar panel array that is not on your residence, but instead in large fields. So then they can have higher power generation and that can help bring more renewable energy to the communities and of course, uh, non-renewable sources. So I believe that we're playing definitely a small role in the community locally, but helping show people that, hey, this is something that anyone can do. It's small scale 
and it's beneficial to those around you and it helps conversations go. It also brings the university quite a bit of good marketing. Yeah, one thing that came to my mind when you were talking was um, about, you know, making sure that water is put into the, into, you know, the right places um, because rainwater can be detrimental actually at times um, in some climates. And so one thing that we did uh, close to the end of our summer of our business was we were asked to create a rain garden for someone. Um, they found that the water was um, going down this hill in their yard behind their house. And then it was going into this park. So it was a public park, but a private property that was kind of seeping into the public park. And so what we did was we created this rain garden with um, a lot of ferns, um, a lot of the plants that were already there, but just found ways to make sure that the water could pool in certain places and be, um, be absorbed by certain plants that could um, do a better job of keeping them contained um, on this property instead of going on to the public um, park, right? So just trying to make sure that the kids in the area could, um, could have better access to their park. So yeah, I just, it, it comes in a lot of different forms, um, working with sustainability in terms of uh, water mitigation, um, in terms of biodiversity and creating just more, um, more different plants or just making sure that there's plant life in different places, places that it wouldn't be otherwise. Um, and so a lot of these just really, really positively impact communities. And I think a lot of what you were saying was that communities respond really well to that. They, everyone kind of pitches in. Yeah, I love hearing how you guys made the um, rock garden. And you said all of the, the ferns and materials you used were all already there and just reorganized. Yeah, they were actually just in the front of the house. Mm -hmm. um, and we split them for hours. There were just so many ferns in one spot. And we, were, we would split them and spread them out across this rain garden that would go kind of on like a 30 degree slope um, behind this house. Um, and then we created more of like a landing spot for the, for the water. Um, and we patched that up with a lot of ferns and new soil so that it could, um, just retain all that water. Yeah. Ferns are, um, are very thirsty plants. So, um, the putting in more ferns in this area will help absorb, uh, water in a, in a future flood. Also, it's just like a perfect place to grow ferns, which are beautiful plants in my opinion, because there's going to be all that water that's running down the hillside. I agree. Ferns, quite thirsty plants. And I hope the audience has crunched their thirst today with knowledge. Um, before we close out today, would you guys have any final words for our audience to take away from? Yeah, I just encourage people to, to think creatively. If you have, if you're, in my case, if your friend tells you an idea for a crazy business, just like jump on it and, and don't worry too much about, you know, is it going to work or not? Because if you're excited, you'll have a lot of fun. And, you know, in our case, we even made some money doing it. So, you know, follow, follow your dreams and, and don't be afraid to take some risks. Yeah, I would just say like exactly what Zach said, saying yes is a lot of fun at times. Um, it can lead to just the best creations, um, even if it's just a small business with your friends. Uh, saying yes has created some of the biggest companies in the world. So um, have fun with it, engage with sustainable product projects, um, engage with groups that are doing, you know, really good work, learn from them, implement it on your own in a different way. Um, no good idea, you know, came out of thin air. Everyone just builds on each other. And so hopefully you can 
listen to this podcast, build on some of the ideas that we've given you today. A lot of the ideas that Nelson's shared and make your own project, join your own group, be sustainable, just do it all. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for coming onto the podcast today. I love talking with you guys. We had a great conversation. And also thank you to all of our sponsors who have been supporting us throughout the entire project and all the different endeavors we have going forward. And to leave everyone here today, remember to stay sustainable, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Young Entrepreneurs. If you found this episode interesting, please listen to another. Follow our journey on social media. Just search Green Roof Team. Special thanks to your sponsors, the SIU Research Park, Energy Center at SIU, SIU Green Theme, University Innovation Fellows, CH Electrical, Supplied Energy, Silvix Forestry and Nursery, Another Chance Studios, AES Solar, RAS Coatings, Sprex Supply Group, HNF Vision, Awareness. We look forward to you joining us next week on Young Entrepreneurs. Stay sustainable, folks.